Bot you read this morning from Bamid uh, Bar, the book of Numbers, was, it's the first chapter. So we ended one book and moved on to the next. But we're also coming up to one of the Moedim. So I was a little torn at first. Do I talk about the wilderness experience of the Israelites? Or do I talk about the joy of the feast? Well, after praying and seeking the Lord and hearing from the Lord, we're going to talk about the joy of the feast. Not just the joy and the excitement, but the things that are associated with it. So we're continuing to count the Omer. The feast is not quite here yet. And we will arrive, depending on how you count, Sunday for Mark, Tuesday for many of us, but however you count it, the important thing is the how you approach it and how you follow after what God said to do. Because this is a Moed Shel Adonai, an appointed time of the Lord. So we recognize the importance of each and every biblical feast. Feasts of the Lord, not the Jewish feast, feasts of the Lord. And each and every one of the feasts, no matter what the theme is, is supposed to bring order into our lives by observing them. As we, have, as we celebrate the feast, as we celebrate each and every Shabbat, which is, by the way, the first Moed of the Lord, we set a pace for ourselves. But do we really set our pace, or is it already set for us? So every week we prepare and observe and enter into a Shabbat rest. As each season passes, where we, where we recognize and observe every Moed, all the Moedim that God, God has ordained for us to observe throughout the year. God ordained each of these times so that we can stay connected with him. That we can stay connected with our roots. That we can stay connected with our ancestors, our families, and with God's purpose for us as his people. So we began close to 50 days ago at Pesach. Springtime, we remembered during that time the sacrificial uh, death of the, the lamb who was placed. We put the door, uh, the blood on the doorposts. We ate bitter herbs. We remembered how God delivered our people out of the slavery of Egypt. We also remember the death of our sacrificial lamb, Yeshua who actually took away our sin. See, that lamb back in the wilderness, back in Egypt, didn't have the ability to deliver from sin. There was a deliverance that resulted from that sacrifice, of course. It was deliverance of the Israelites and all our ancestors, because that's what the story says. We're supposed to speak as if we all left individually and personally, and it was a mixed multitude that came out. So we remember that. But there was no deliverance from sin in that sacrifice. 
But then we celebrate the resurrection of our Messiah. And then 50 days later, coming up in a few days, we arrive at Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. And Shavuot, even though it's ordained by God and we're supposed to observe it and we're supposed to have this physical harvest, it's also a time for spiritual harvest. And we're going to tie those two together in just a few minutes. The agriculture was the foundation and source of the economy for the Israelites. Without crops, they died. It was the wealth and welfare of the people because they were dependent on the land. It was God's intent for Israel's agricultural success to be different from all the other nations. You look at the products that Israel has now. Things that should not be able to grow in a desert. But they do. And it was really simple. If you obey God and His Word, then they'd have plenty. And the harvest would be plentiful. But if they don't obey, then the harvest would be lacking in abundance. So on Shavuot, in order to show gratitude, the nation was expected to bring God their first fruits of the wheat harvest. And by doing that, they'd be making a declaration to God that all their wealth comes from Him. And that's the right thing to do. Shavuot is a lesson for us to recognize and appreciate all of God's gifts with gratitude. And by bringing him those first fruits, we're returning them to him from whatever it is we receive. You know, in this day and age, most of us are not farmers. But we do earn livings in other areas. So we do have financial ability to bring back to God the first fruits of our increase. So whatever it is, that we use for sustenance, that's what we're supposed to offer God the first fruits of. So 50 days after Yeshua's resurrection, his followers were gathered in Jerusalem, and the same spirit that raised him from the dead was poured out on his disciples. That's when the Messianic community, the body of Messiah, came to life. And that happened on the day of Shavuot. It was the fulfillment of Shavuot. According to Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum of Ariel Ministries, there are eight different names that are used to identify this Moed, this appointed time. One is Chag HaShavuot, meaning Feast of Weeks, since it occurs seven weeks plus one day after the Shabbat following Pesach. The second is Hag Hakatsir, which means Feast of the Harvest, since it comes at the end of the spring harvest. The third is Yom HaBikurim, which means Day of the First Fruits, because it comes at the beginning of the summer harvest. Fourth is Hag HaBikurim, which means Feast of First Fruits, which is a rabbinic name that indicated the first fruits of wheat and barley were offered. 
So that's one that's applied to both the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. Then there's a Hag Atzeret, which means closing festival. That also is rabbinic in nature, and it indicates that it's the end of the festival cycle. So Shavuot is the end of the Pesach, or unleavened bread, cycle. It begins anew. Sixth one is Atzeret Shel Pesach, meaning the closing or the completion of the Passover season. Again, it's a rabbinic title, and it indicates the end, in this case, of a season that began at Pesach. The seventh one is Zaman Matan Torah, which means season or time of the giving of the law. Because according to tradition, that's when God gave the law to the Israelites through Moses. And finally, one that's more common today is the day of Pentecost, or just Pentecost, which comes from the Greek term meaning 50. Okay, number six was Atzeret Shel Pesach, the completion of Passover. Messiah gave his own life on Passover as an atonement for your sin, my sin, the sin of everyone. No respecter of person. Then he rose from the dead. He thereby overcame death. Later he ascended to the throne of God. But he didn't, he didn't stop there. That wasn't it. There was something that was missing, something that was lacking. It wasn't complete. Because then he sent his Ruach, his Holy Spirit, on Shavuot, which enabled us to overcome sin and achieve the victory in our lives that he intended for us because he did it all. He was the ultimate sacrifice, something we could never provide for ourselves. The arrival of the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, completed the work that Yeshua started. He died as a Passover lamb, on the crucifixion stake, and the Spirit of God living in us now empowers us to overcome our natural inclination to do what is wrong. It brings that completion of the work of salvation. So if he just rose and sat at the right hand of God on high, something wouldn't be done. We would never have received the Holy Spirit for guidance, for direction. For completeness. Shabbat's a time when we thank God for all his provisions in our life. Not only material provision like the first fruits of the harvest, but his spiritual provisions, namely the Holy Spirit, which began that harvest of people among the first Messianic Jews in Jerusalem. Shavuot is a time for Jews and Gentiles to be united. The Megillat Ruth, the book of Ruth, is designated reading on Shavuot. The Megillat Ruth includes the message of Gentiles being joined together in the commonwealth of Israel. You may remember Ruth was a Gentile. She joined herself to the Jewish people through her mother-in-law. She told Naomi, 
Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ultimately, Ruth marries Boaz, a Jewish man, and three generations later, King David was born as a result of that union. And through King David came Messiah Yeshua. One of the traditions of Shavuot is that the priest would wave two loaves. And when he waved those two loaves, he would pray, Lord, thank you for extending the harvest to the wheat. We offer it up to you the first fruits, the beginning, the best of this crop. And Lord, we ask you to bring in the rest of the harvest throughout the year. So that raises the question, why two loaves? Why not one large loaf? Well, those two loaves have become symbolic of the two groups of people that make up the Messianic community. In Romans chapter 11, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, talks about the olive tree and how it's made up of the original branches, who are the Jewish people, and the wild branches, which are the Gentiles, who are gathered into the natural olive tree. So the two loaves become representative of those two branches becoming part of one olive tree. The two are incomplete without each other. The Jewish loaf needs the Gentile loaf in order to be complete. And the Gentile loaf absolutely needs the Jewish loaf to be complete. Shavuot is also a time of empowerment. You think about the Holy Spirit, you think of power. The power comes on us. Yes, it's a time of empowerment. On Shavuot, we remember and thank God for Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, or the gift of the Torah, which is truly one of God's greatest gifts that he ever gave to us. It was around that same time that God gave the Israelites the Torah. We discussed before, and sometimes at length, that the that Torah... Yes, it can mean law, and we often call it the law, but it means more than that. It means teaching. It means instruction. It's God's teaching, God's instruction, what he laid out for his people in order that they may please him. Through his Torah, God clearly shows us his way. He shows us his very nature. And he shows us his will for us. Shavuot's a time when many observant Jews, some even not as observant, will stay up all night studying Torah. Many Messianic Jews do the same thing. And they read the Psalms, as well as the book of Ruth. In addition to Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, at Shavuot we remember Matan Ruach, the giving of the Torah of the Holy Spirit. Or again, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because it's through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, that He writes His law and instructions on our hearts. It's good that we have all of that here. But how much of this do you remember without having this? We should commit it to our hearts, to our very being. 
I know during the study that we're doing at Rosh Chodesh Fellowship, there's a lot of memory verses in there. I'm not a really good person at remembering verses necessarily. And I know there are many others like that. But there are certain things we need to have on our hearts. And God's instructions, we need to know. We need to have them there. That needs to be a part of our very lives. See, law in and of itself can be weak. It doesn't have power. Lawmakers, they can pass laws, and they do all the time, but that doesn't mean that people are going to necessarily want or even have the ability to obey them. I mean, there's a whole laundry list of laws that happen every, come into play every year, not just the beginning of the year, but the fiscal year. And many of them, people don't even pay attention to what these new laws are. And even if they hear about them, they ignore them. Yes, there can be enforcement, but every police department, sheriff's department in this country cannot even remember the new laws themselves to enforce them. So something on paper really means nothing. You have to commit it to heart. Same as with the Torah of God. These instructions need to be on our hearts so that we know what he said. I'll say this, unlike the laws of the land that can change every six months, this hasn't changed in how many years? So this has been around a long time, so we have a lot of documentation to tell us what God's instructions are. No confusion. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes into us to live in us and give us the power to live to the fullest extent or intent of the Torah. Through the leading and guiding of the Ruach, we don't dismiss the law. Instead, the law becomes alive in us. And it gives us a desire to please God and to fulfill all of his commandments. And I lose that, I use that term very loosely, commandments. Because we're not going to go through this whole litany of three, 613 commandments because some of which we cannot keep anyway. It's impossible because many of them require a temple. But all that we can do that is available to us in the Word of God, the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, helps us to live up to those, the potential that we have to keep God's instructions. So the rabbis came to the conclusion that Shavuot was the same time that the Israelites were given the Torah on Mount Sinai. And of course, during that time, Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Torah from God. And the Israelites were doing what? They were molding and worshiping a golden calf. Something he never told them to do. And so we all know what happened when he came back down and he had the tablets in his hands. He saw what they were doing. And in Exodus chapter 32, first part of verse 26, he said, Whoever is on Adonai's side, let him come to me. Then continuing in the second part of verse 26, he says, Then all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. So they made a statement. We're with God. We're here. In verses 27 and 28, Moses then tells the Levites, this is what Adonai, the God of Israel, says. Every man put on his sword, 
and go to and fro from the gate, from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay his brother, his friend, and his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did what Moses said, and that day from among the people there fell about 3,000 men. You could ask, how did they know which men to, to kill? Well, I believe that somewhere not written in there, Moses said, every one of those that were in that insurrection, and you know who they are because I was on top of the mountain, so I don't know who they were, you go take care of it. Does that number sound familiar at all? 3,000 men? Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 38, where Peter said, Repent and let each of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua for the removal of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as Adonai our God, calls to himself. With many other words, he warned them and kept urging them, saying, Save yourselves from this twisted generation. So those who received his message were immersed, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. So 3,000 men were killed on the very day the law was given on Shavuot. And when the Holy Spirit was revealed and received, 3,000 people came to life. Went from death to life. When the law was given at Mount Sinai, 3,000 Jewish men were put to death because of their actions. And the giving of the Torah by itself wasn't able to save them. But the power of the Holy Spirit brings a desire to fulfill the Torah of God and the power to do it. See, the Ruach gives us power that we need to live. He gives us that power to share the gospel, the good news. He gives us the power to be pleasing to God. And he gives us the power to be victorious over evil. And I, for one, need power over evil in this day and age. So it wasn't, well, you know me, the word coincidence is not kosher to me. But it wasn't a coincidence that on Shavuot, when the Holy Spirit was given, that 3,000 people received the power to be witnesses of for Yeshua, and they received his resurrection power. Just the opposite of the 3,000 who died on that same day in history, Shavuot. Shavuot's a time that we're supposed to be growing in the Spirit. If he is dwelling in us, then we should be growing in him and with him, leading us. See, it seems from Scripture, at least, that the ministry of the Spirit was a bit limited. Before the time of Yeshua, that seemed to be the case. There didn't seem to be a lot of people who exhibited the power of the Ruach to a large extent prior to Yeshua. 
Even King David, after his transgression with Bathsheba and her husband, in Psalm 51, he prayed, Do not cast me from your presence. Take not your Ruach HaKodesh from me. So it must be possible for the Ruach to be taken away. At least back then. Prior to Yeshua's death and resurrection, it seems like there was no permanence to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living and breathing in us has to be the greatest gift we can ever receive in this life. If it weren't for the regenerative and restorative work of the Holy Spirit, we would have no spiritual life. Think back to when you received the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm sure you will see that to be true. It also joins us, not only to the Father, but to one another. All of Yeshua's followers, including us, share the same Holy Spirit. So that gives us a unique unity. We have a oneness with other believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're not alone. We're all part of the same eternal kingdom. Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, says in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Ruach you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For all who are led by the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall again into fear. Rather, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Ruach himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So the Holy Spirit gives us an assurance of eternal life. He also gives us the reassurance that we belong to God. Having the Ruach living in us gives us an inner witness that we belong to God. And it witnesses, he witnesses to us that he is our Heavenly Father. The evidence of that inner witness is when we don't have words to speak. The Ruach guides our prayers. Rav Shaul again in Romans 8, beginning of verse 26 says, In the same way, the Ruach helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Ruach himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Ruach because he intercedes for the Kedashim, his holy ones, according to the will of God. Now we all, now we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. On a side note, if you've never received God's gift of the Holy Spirit, 
or you've never prayed to receive his gift, what better time than during the Feast of Shavuot? Just like the believers from Acts chapter 2. And someone might ask, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? In one word, ask. In other words, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith and through prayer. By the way, even those of us who have received God's gift continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit by faith and through prayer. Because sometimes we fall short. Does that mean that the Ruach has been taken away from us? Well, here's a question. Have you ever fallen short? What did you do as a result? Did you not pray for restoration? Guess what? The Ruach was never removed from you. You just strayed. Receiving the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not difficult. Someone once said, it's as simple as breathing. Just pray to receive the Holy Spirit. So I mentioned earlier that there are certain traditions on Shavuot. One is to study Torah all night long. So I don't know how many are going to be up overnight, air of Shavuot, studying Torah. And part of it was, is reading the book of Ruth. It's also a custom to decorate the home and the synagogue with green plants and flowers because it's a reminder of the harvest. Referring to the Torah, and we recite it every week in our liturgy, Proverbs 3, verse 17 and 18 say, says, Her ways are pleasant ways, and all its paths are shalom, peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and blessed will be all who hold firmly to her. Which is a reference to Torah. Wisdom is equated with Torah. This is God's Torah. This is God's wisdom. This is God's instructions. This is God's teaching for us today. We need to embrace it. We need to live it. And we need the Ruach to help us to do that. Just like a tree provides fruit and nourishment for our bodies, the Word of God does the same for our spirits. If we don't take the right nourishment, we will never grow in that area. We want our bodies to be strong. We want our bodies to have life. We eat the right foods. If we want our spirits to have life, we eat the right foods. In closing, I pray that this Shavuot will be a time of exceeding joy for you and your families. I also pray that our hearts will be joined together as one in Messiah Yeshua and that we will all experience the presence and indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, in our lives in a new way and in each and every day. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank you and we bless you. You are our God. You want what's best for us. You gave us your instructions to tell us what those things are that are good for us. You also gave your instructions to tell us those things that are not good for us. You also gave your Ruach 
to help us to remember right from wrong, to direct our paths so we don't fall into the wrong. But also, when we do stray, when we do slip, we pray that He will remind us and bring us back and restore us. You are a God that loves your people, loves your children, and you don't want any of us to be lost. You don't want any of us to be left behind. So I pray that you would refresh us, to bring us back to a better understanding, better knowledge of your instructions for us. And as we go into this Shavuot season, we pray that you would be completely honored by us and that we will be, that we will completely honor you in our worship, in our praise, and in our study of your word. Thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen.